Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We are going to be in the book of John this morning, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. If you brought your Bibles with you, I encourage you to go ahead and open them there. Uh, We'll be there shortly, and if not, that scripture will be on the screen when we get there. So my children, like most children, want sometimes what they already have. I don't know if you can identify with that or not as a parent or as an adult, uh, even wanting what you don't have. The way it most often manifests itself is over supper time or lunch time or breakfast time, whenever we're eating together. And Cannon will almost without fail, uh, if we cut up something on his plate, like the same thing we're eating and put it on his plate, he will without fail reach towards our plates and say mo. Let's see, it's one of his favorite words right now, is more. He wants more of whatever it is. If we salt or pepper our plates, we have to salt or pepper his plate, even if it's fake. He wants more of whatever we have. Now, he doesn't realize when I look to him and I say, Cannon, what is on our plate is already on your plate. Like you're eating the same thing that we are, literally the same thing. It's just in smaller bite size portions, but he still wants what he already has. Corbin, on the flip side, who's about to turn six, prefers his nourishment and would prefer his nourishment to come from a Lunchable for every single meal rather than something that's actually nourishing. Uh, And so he wants something that he thinks is beneficial, mainly because it has, you know, decorative packaging. Uh, That's how they get little kids, I guess. But rather than something that is actually nourishing, he would rather have that. Now, if we're being honest, we adults do the same thing, maybe not in food necessarily, maybe so, but we usually, sometimes in our world today, in in, in our fast-paced technological world, we spend more energy connecting with our virtual friends than we do with the family that we actually live with, share a home with. We search for the voice of God in a song, a movie, a popular new book, in our dreams, from a professional communicator or some mysterious voice, rather than actually opening Scripture, the pages of the Word of God, and seeking His voice there, a Word to which we all have access in our world today. So what I want to put before you this morning is the same thing I would say to Canon over a meal. Stop asking for what you already have. Stop looking for what you already have right in front of you. As we think about God speaking to us, this morning we're going to focus, as we looked at last week getting started, about how God has spoken through Jesus Christ and the way, one of the main ways that he speaks through Jesus is through the Word of God. In our passage from John 14 today, Jesus' apostles are desperate to know the truth from him, to know the truth about, about him, about who he is, about where he is going, what he's going to do, about how their future relates to his future, so that they might know where they are going as well. Yet even as they are having this conversation with Jesus in the upper room and some of their last moments together, they are missing what is right in front of them with eyes looking back at them, completely missing the point of who Jesus is and the gift that they have to be in his presence. So God speaks in these last days, as the author of Hebrews tells us, through his son, Jesus Christ, his final word, his greatest manifestation. And God speaks through Jesus by speaking through Scripture. So before we jump into the Scripture, John 14, 1 through 9, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we live in a world and in a time where we all have access to your written word. And that, God, that you can speak to us today simply by us turning and reading the word that you have inspired and delivered to us. 
God, thank you for the way that you have protected your word over the centuries and for the ways that you have allowed it to be passed down to us, translated into our language, and inspired all the way. God, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, through the presence of Jesus this morning, God, that you would allow these words to be implanted into our hearts, into our minds, in such a way that it would change the way that we live. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Again, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. Jesus says these words to his apostles. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be, and you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can, you know, how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Again, Jesus is with his apostles in the upper room just before his arrest and execution. He is essentially giving his followers some final words of advice and comfort. It's especially what's going on in chapter 14, words of comfort, before he will physically be taken from their presence. Now, he will see them again. We know that is coming, but the crucifixion is upon us, and he's giving them these words of hope and encouragement in that time. And so Jesus' final words here of hope and encouragement have to deal with him going to a place, going to a place to prepare a room for them, and by extension, us. This passage is often read at funerals to remind us of the hope that we have in Jesus as we look forward. And the apostles in this moment, in this moment that I'm sure all of us as Christians on this side of the New Testament, looking back on this story, would be somewhat jealous of. To actually be in the presence of Jesus, like physically in the presence of Jesus, to sit at his feet, recline over a meal like they were probably doing, and to hear these words spoken. I know when we're talking about this idea of of God speaking to us and and us hearing God and, and how to determine the voice of God, like we talked about last week, sometimes we wish we could just hear an audible voice, right? And we might wish that we were in this exact spot, listening to Jesus share his truth with our fellow believers, just like the apostles were. Jesus' words are fatherly as he encourages them, as he is with them face to face. Yet the disciples fail to see what's right in front of their faces, literally right in front of their faces. Thomas asked the first question. When Jesus says, you know the way that I'm going, Thomas says, wait a minute. We don't know the way you're going. Where are you going? What is the way that you are going? And Jesus' response, one of the I am statements in the book of John, is I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And if you had known me, you wouldn't know the Father, he tells 
he answers this question. Now, Jesus says that, to, you know, he's, he's speaking symbolically, but also truthfully in, in the nature of how one comes to the Father. It's actually through him. So maybe you can forgive Thomas for missing or Philip for missing this part of the question. Maybe not. But then Philip comes with another statement. And again, before we look down on these men, may we hear our own voice within these words. Because what Philip says to Jesus is basically, Jesus, enough of the symbolism right? Enough of all this roundabout talk. You've talked about the Father. You said, if we knew you, we would really know the Father. Can you just do everybody a favor, make it as plain as day, and show us the Father? Can you just show us the Father? Again, maybe you felt that way in conversations with God, that God, I'll be obedient. I'll do what you're asking me to do. Just show me something I can see with my eyes, manipulate with my hands. Just show me the Father, Philip says. In Jesus' response, what, in what I would think comes with a bit of incredulity or, or really Philip kind of response, Jesus says, again, I'm going to interpret it. I'm going to like, you know, if I were there, this is how I imagine it. Really? Philip, how can you miss this? How can you miss this? Do you, have you been around me? Do you, do you know me? We've spent, you know, approximately three years together. You have seen me say, Lazarus, come forth to a dead man, and he came forth. You have seen me walk on water. You have seen a small boy's meal turn into food for thousands of people. You have seen all these miracles happen. You have seen me use your brothers that are around you, even some that the world would say is, is foolish and uneducated. You have seen me use this group of men, and still you don't know me? You're missing what's really in front of your faces? You have seen the Father because you have seen me. The Father is right here in me, he tells Philip. Now, the apostles were desperate to see the truth. And like I told you last week, that is a good thing, to be desperate to see the will of God, to know the will of God so that we might be obedient to it. That is a good thing. But they were only looking for God to show up in the way that they expected him to show up, in the way that the world expected him to show up. They weren't looking for something else, something that God might want to do on his own accord. They were essentially asking for the same thing that Moses asked for back when he was on the side of the mountain. Exodus thirty three eighteen, when he says to God, show me your glory. That's all Moses wanted. Just show me your glory. Many of you probably remember that story. And if we're being honest, many of us would ask for the same thing, a miraculous appearing of God, what we long for the most. So much so that you even see this kind of fleshed out in modern day worship culture. There's two bands, Third Day, which I grew up with in the 90s. I don't know if anybody's a Third Day fan or a Christian rock band. Um, and Jesus Culture, a more modern worship praise band, they have both written songs over this exact scripture. Show me your glory. It's the name of the song. Or that's the refrain over and over again, where we long to see God's face. That, that language is even in the music. We long to see the actual physical glory of God, to have physical evidence. But here's the thing. In reality, what Philip and the rest of the twelve were seeing was better than what Moses saw when God passed by him on the side of the mountain. 
If you remember that story, Moses only saw the backside of God because to see the face of God would have meant his death, God tells him. The apostles were in the presence of God himself, the sovereign creator of the universe who spoke stars into existence. They were in his physical presence, yet they wanted something else. Don't tell me we can't identify with Scripture today in 2018. Don't tell me that we can't read the stories of of this word and, and see the frustrations and the longings of people and can't find ourselves there as well. Where we desperately long for God, yet we fail to see him in the way that he is already moving in our lives and the way that he is already speaking through Scripture. God has spoken and is speaking, but we still want physical evidence. Philip, I would wonder if Jesus didn't think about this idea of this Moses asking this same question and hear this same question and like, Philip, you really want God to pass by in a cloud when you're actually having a face-to-face conversation with him? You're completely missing the point, Philip. What we want from God is a phony imitation of what God actually wants to give us. He knows so much better than we do. What he chooses to give us is so much greater than what we think we need or we want. When I was playing high school football, our coach gave us an option one uh, summer during practice, during two days, of whether or not we would continue to drink water during breaks or we would bring in Gatorade. We thought, well, all the college athletes drink Gatorade. You know, that's, that's exactly what we want. So we opted for the Gatorade instead of the water. It was after maybe one or two scrimmages that we said, forget that. We don't want the Gatorade anymore because what happened was we mixed it in a big thing. I don't know if you, you know, those of you who've been in the athletic world, you just take a big pack of powdered Gatorade and you mix it in one of those big orange coolers. And we found ourselves, I don't know if we were mixing it too strongly or what, but we found ourselves around halftime after drinking Gatorade having cotton mouth because it was so stinking sugary to the point that we didn't want it anymore. We would rather go back to the water. Now, we didn't know what we actually needed in that situation. And just like high school kids or kids, and we'll be honest, even adults, we often sometimes want things we don't need or we want things we already had. We had all the, the, all the electrolytes, all the whatever that we needed in water. I think God made a pretty good thing when he made water. Can I get an amen? There's nothing greater to me. There's no, like, there, there, there are few things on this earth greater than after you've worked really hard outside in a, in, a, in, a, in a direct sun, 105 Texas day, when you go inside, you fill up the, the glass with water, you put some ice in it, you give it a few seconds so that the coolness goes out throughout the whole water, and then you drink it, you drink it so much, and you just drink it in, that it goes down the sides of your mouth, and it gets, the, gets the, your shirt wet, and it's this coolness. There's, there are few sensations better than that, Right? We don't need Gatorade to replace that. No offense if you're a fan of Gatorade or if you work for them. If anybody in here happens to, it's a wonderful product. But God made all the nutrition, all the refueling power that we need in water. And it was the same for the apostles. They had everything they needed right in front of them. Yet they wanted more. They wanted something else. It's no surprise how quickly the apostles, all except John anyway, ran and hid when Jesus was arrested. Because even though they had seen Jesus do miraculous works, even though they had listened to him, 
preach the Sermon on the Mount and give earth-shattering, throwing everything upside down truth and reality that nobody could deny. They had seen him time and time again shut up with a simple question, the smartest people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Even though they had been with him through all of that, they had failed to see him for what he really was, the Son of God and the earthly presence of God the Father himself. Stop looking for what you already have. As we think about God speaking to us, God can and may choose at points in your life to speak to you in a miraculous fashion, in a mysterious fashion. But it is far more likely to speak to you, for him to speak to you in the way that he normally does, which is through his word. Let me ask a question that I ask myself. Why do we insist God to repeat himself on certain issues? I do that sometimes. Maybe you prayed a prayer like this recently. God, can you please show me a visible sign on whether or not I should forgive this brother or sister that has wronged me? I have already forgiven them. I I know, you know, you're supposed to forgive, but I've already forgiven them over and over again, and they continue to take advantage of my kind nature. Uh, God, I'm beginning to wonder if if this relationship is getting the point where I just need to go ahead and and not forgive this time and break it off and move forward. If that would be the healthiest thing for me to do. I have people and I've read books that are telling me sometimes the healthiest thing is just completely disconnect. So, God, I'm at the point where I think maybe I shouldn't forgive that person anymore and I should just move on. God, if you think differently, could you please show me a sign? Or You know what, God, here's the sign. If you could just please make that brother text me an apology, I'll forgive him. But if you don't do that, I'm going to take it as your will that you don't want me to. Why would we ask God to repeat himself? Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, being Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. By the way, that's 77. That's a pretty big deal in the Greek. It means over and over. It is completely without end. He's already given us that word. Why would we ask for him to repeat himself? Have you ever told a child or a spouse or a good friend something? Have you ever told them like an important part of your schedule? or important part of the day, or some important reality or truth that they needed to know for the next day, and then they come to you the next day, and they had no idea what you were talking about? Has anybody ever been in that situation? I'm usually the other one in that situation, where I go to Cheryl, and I'm like, hey, did you know about this? And she's like, yes, I told you about that last night. Do you not remember? Like, we talked last night? I don't remember that. You know, that's, that's the man in me, I guess. That's an excuse, okay? That's just me being foolish and selfish, I guess, and not paying attention. So, We do the same thing with God often, and that he's already spoken to us. God has spoken to us in these final days through Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews tells us in the first four verses. He has already said his word to us through his scripture, yet we continue to question. We continue to come back, God, did you really mean this? Or we miss it because we haven't read these words and taken them into our lives and hearts. Now, you might say what I'm saying to you, to you today is difficult or that it's not as fun or it's not as meaningful if God were to show up in a cloud and speak to us in some mysterious voice, but let me flip that on you. 
I think it's actually better for us that we have this as God's written word rather than some mysterious voice or mysterious movement. Because with those mysterious movements, there always comes a certain element of doubt. Now, I've had God speak to me in ways other than Scripture. I've had him speak to me whether I wake up the next morning. I've had this happen on a couple of occasions, and I feel like I've had a word from God. I'll test it against Scripture. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I'll test it against Scripture to make sure that it is truly a word from God, but sometimes I feel that. And, and there's always an element of doubt when it's like that because I have to wonder to myself, is that really God's voice or is that my voice? Is that really what God is telling me or is that something that I want? when he speaks to me in such fashion. I think God is telling me that it's time to confront my best friend on her judgmental attitude because I had a dream last night about us having such a conversation. But how can I know for sure that this wasn't a random dream or just what I want? Gideon was likely wrestling with God with the same sense of doubt when he did the thing with the fleece twice in Judges 6 where he asked God to allow dew to go on the fleece, but, but to be dry completely around. And then after God did that, Gideon's like, huh, you know, maybe that could have just happened on its own. So God, let's do the flip side. I'm going to put the fleece out again, and this time I want the fleece to be dry and everything else around it to be wet. You can see the sense of doubt within him about God speaking in that way. There shouldn't be so much doubt when we have this word agreed upon by millions of believers, the church throughout its history, God himself inspiring these words with billions of copies surrounding this globe that we can turn with an agreed upon word of God and read in black and white or red and white if you had a red letter edition, we can read in what God has already said through his word. Scripture is more trustworthy than your experience no matter how much you believe in yourself. Just like if you ask just about anybody on this planet whether or not they're a good driver, they're going to say yes, but you and I both know that some of them aren't. Experience is not always trustworthy. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of study going on today that tells us that experience isn't nearly as trustworthy as we think, particularly in when, when you're talking about like eyewitness testimony in a court kind of environment. I found out that a lot of times we remember things that didn't actually happen and we remember them so clearly that we convince ourselves it's the truth when actually it happened in some other way. And so someone will get on the stand or they'll take a polygraph test and it'll seem like they're telling the complete truth and that will be taken as the truth when what's really happening is they are misremembering what they actually saw. Experience isn't as trustworthy as you think. Certainly not as trustworthy as the written word of the Lord. So do you desire a word from the Lord this morning? You have a Bible in your lap, you have one. Look there first. You have it in your phone, you have it there as well. Scripture was inspired by the Holy Spirit and written through the hands of faithful followers of God who witnessed, many of them, firsthand the events about which they wrote. And the Bible as we have it today has been in what I believe to be an inspired process by God all along the way, checked for accuracy more than any other historical piece of literature and agreed upon by the church universal to be the word of God himself. And chances are that God has spoken to you through scripture before. He's kind of doing it right now, I hope. So why not look there again? 
God definitely speaks to me through his word. It's the main way that he speaks to me, almost all of the time, through his word. If I'm looking for a word from God, this is where I turn first, at least in my better moments, is where I turn first when I search out a word from God. One word that God speaks to me often in my role A verse that I have memorized ever since I first felt called into the ministry is Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. And you've heard me say it before because it's an important verse to me. Where Jeremiah says in the midst of complaining about what God has called him to do and whining about the the, the task that God has given him. In chapter 20, he even wishes that he hadn't been born. But in verse 9, he says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, then there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I'm weary from holding it in and I cannot. I've been there because God has put me on this planet to do what I'm doing now. It's what I feel called to do, to communicate his truth. And there have been times, it hasn't happened here yet, thank the Lord, but there have been times when I've been in ministry where I didn't want to do this, where things fell off, or there was, or there was volatility in the church, and there was something shut up within me that I couldn't resist, and I couldn't quiet down. I had to go do what he called me to do, and I was able to do that. Why? Because he spoke to me in his word. Because he told me to, in his word, because God has in these last days spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. There may be specific instances that require more thought, prayer, Christian advice on exactly how to interpret the scripture into your life. But God will always speak in accordance with his word. Let me say that again. I should have thrown that on the screen. It's important. God will always speak in accordance with his word. God will not ever give you any truth that is in opposition to this written word of God. And so as you read this word, don't just go looking for all, your, all the answers to your questions. I know many of us have probably done that kind of Bible study. I remember doing that about... A passage of David in Second Samuel and an argument, not an argument, a disagreement I was having with somebody else. I remember taking a concordance and finding like whatever word, whatever issue we were talking about. I don't want to go there because I don't want that to be on your mind. But it's one of those stupid doctrinal things that people get divided over. And so we were looking at like the, the different points. And I remember going and looking up that word in my concordance. I had one of those big, strong, exhaustive concordance. And, and I would put checks or minuses beside each of the things on the concordance. You know what the checks or the minuses meant? Check, it agreed with my stance. Negative, it didn't. That's basically what it meant. Now, I was a kid at the time, so you're going to have to give me a pass there, okay? I say a kid. Many of you might think I'm still a kid. I'm talking about 18, 19 years old. And I was checking through that about whether or not it, it agreed with me. When we read Scripture that way, that's not reading God's Word. That's us trying to tell God's Word what to say. Okay, that, that, that's not seeking God's Word for truth. And you know how we talked about last week, how since God has spoken to us through Jesus, the way that we hear from God is to be in relationship with Jesus. Don't just go looking to the word of God, to the word of Jesus for all the answers to your questions. You know, where you proof text, where you find certain things that you know we're going to talk about that issue. No, read the whole word of God. Uh, read through books of the Bible. Read through the Bible as a whole. Take, take a plan that somebody else put together that isn't on your agenda and read through the word that way. Don't read it looking for your answers. Read it looking for the voice of God to speak to you in a way that you might not have even seen coming. Make reading scripture a habit in the midst of relationship with God's son, Jesus. And as you are reading, 
as you are going through the whole testimony of God, then climb your ear and listen to hear how the voice of God might speak regarding your circumstances. Stop looking for what you already have. In a world today where so many Christians are wringing their hands, and I'm one of them, wringing their hands often, begging for the voice of God, begging for a word from God, you have access. This is new in the history of the world. You, individually, not your church, not your town, like it used to be the case in, 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 in days past, you individually have access to the written word of God. And if you aren't looking there, stop expecting God to show up somewhere else. Because he might be saying to you, just like he said to Philip and the others, really? Have you missed it? Philip, I've been here with you this whole time. How long have we known each other? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've read the Bible, you've read the Word of God. What you need to hear today has already been spoken and placed within that Word. Again, maybe sometimes you need to think through ways to actually apply that to your life. That's where we'll go from here. But it's important at this point to say that God has spoken through His Word. If you're looking somewhere else, stop. First, look in his word. It's alive and it's active and it can change your life. Because it has in the past and it will again if you turn to it. During our time of invitation this morning, what I'm going to encourage you to do is enter into a time of maybe repentance. Uh, of asking God for forgiveness for looking in all these other places or demanding, God, just show me something when he has already showed you so much. Again, I'm not saying that that desire is evil or that I don't understand it. I certainly do. I'm there with you a lot. We're desperate to hear a word from God. So maybe it's a time to, to, to repent in the sense of, of laying that kind of searching for God's voice behind and instead deciding to take up a life of the study of his word so that you might hear him speak in that way. And if there is something you desperately need a word for today, may you in this time of invitation, may you pray to God right where you're at. You come down at the altar and pray there. You can also come and pray with me now or after the service. May you pray that God would speak through his word to you today as you study and as you get to know his son Jesus, as you get to know his holy word, might speak to you in a way that makes a difference and an impact in your life today. God will, if you allow him to do that. Let's stand together during our time of invitation. We always invite you as well, if anyone would like to become a member of our church, become a member of this family, this would be a good time to come down and do that. But allow God to speak to you. Allow God to speak to you through his spirit and allow him to lay conviction on you, to hear him through his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for speaking. For speaking through your son and for speaking to us today, through your spirit and through your word. God, I ask for forgiveness and I repent of the times that I have looked elsewhere. Things I would consider good places. Music, popular books, 
to hear your voice without first turning to your word. God, may you call us, may you call me to a kind of life where we know your word inside and out. God, may we be a people and may you convict us and encourage us and strengthen us to be a people who have a strong desire to know you through knowing your word so that we can live it out in a world that needs to see it. I pray that in Jesus' name.